Well, amen. Praise the Lord. This is the Sunday before the Martin Luther King Jr. Day celebration. And uh, I mean, we're almost 60, 50, 56 years since his assassination. We are still waiting, in the words of Amos 5.24, for people to let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. You know, in context, in Amos, God says there is no song and there is no sacrifice that he accepts from his people until that is done. But the question on the floor is, how do we get there? How can we be influencers in our society for that? I mean, if that stream is the dream, what are you going to do about it? Turn to Psalm 78 before we... uh, on our way to Daniel chapter 6. Today people rationalize in order to bend the rules. And then in a cavalier way they may say, you know, God understands, so grace forgives. As a matter of fact, T.D. Jakes just said that. You know, God understands, grace forgives. But the consequences of that attitude are the scandals that plague our society. And the casualties of that our commitment to marriage, sexual impurity, financial accountability, intellectual honesty is a casualty. So it's as clear as a mighty stream, and this is our thesis for today's study, that we need and we need to give our youth character traits of Christ-likeness to embrace, believe in, and let the Spirit of God answer through His Word to empower No one is going to attain perfection in this life, but we do need to embody honesty over duplicity. So how can we begin to operate on the basis of Bible character? Daniel's life is going to show us how. And it's clear today that in our schools and society, they recognize the systemic problems that we face with mental health, with violence, with suicide, and with other issues. And they will not say that the solution is a matter of cultivating character. I mean, you cannot pin it on character because virtues require morals, and then morals admit that there's a God, and if there's a God, he determines right and wrong. So how do you teach honesty if there is no normative standard for honesty. I mean, all you've got is the reasonable uh, expectation of any given individual because there's no absolute standard. Webster will tell you that integrity is an unimpaired condition or soundness. But here's how we teach it from the Bible. Look at Psalm 78. Down the, uh, the very last verse, verse 72. So David fed Israel according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. The word integrity is also translated by the James gang as perfection for its completeness. Now three things here. I'm going to give you a trinity, triad of things. Perfection for its completeness, translated simplicity for its unadulterated, undiluted nature, and translated uprightness for its relationship to righteousness. Now, all of us have walked in here today at 10 below, you know, with electricity going out overnight and, and you know, trying to keep water lines from freezing and 
not, not knowing if Taylor and Kelsey are going to still be a thing. And, and you know, coming in with the uh, after, uh, after game hangover because, I mean, admit it, it was, I mean, it was a game, man. We, we defeated, we had to defeat the weather, the referees, and number 74, and we defeated all three <laughs> at the same time. We did all three at the same time. And this year we're wrapping up to another election cycle with all that increasing anxiety and stress and relational volatility. But if what you have is perfect in its completion, then there's no anxiety. And if what you trust is not adulterated by falsehood, then that addresses stress. And if your actions are upright, then relational volatility is short-circuited. You have integrity if you complete a job and don't leave it unfinished. You have integrity if you complete it with quality and things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. In other words, if you're a Christian, you're born again. Yes, grace, you're saved, eternal life. And you can do anything you can get away with until the judgment seat of Christ. So, verse 24, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Not their goods, but their well-being, their prosperity, their external happiness. So integrity is the absence of duplicity and the opposite of hypocrisy. You do what you say, you say what you're able to do. And integrity is the weed killer for that weed manipulation. So it's not about being emotionally healthy, displaying character through difficult emotions. In his book, A Study of Courage, Louis Adami says, there's a, there's a certain blend of courage, integrity, character, and principle, which has no satisfactory dictionary name. It has been called different, different times in different countries. He says our American name Guts. And guts, it's, it's not living free from sin, but it's the guts to quickly admit you're wrong instead of blaming, name-calling, deflecting, obscuring. So it brings its own flashlight and shines it into the dark. Now let, let me illustrate your options this way. So you need to listen to this. It's our first point for study. If we do not teach our children the value of the virtue of abstinence before marriage... We reduce them to the level of dogs. Now, your scientist, your professor, your just fine with that because evolution says they are human animals, descendants of beasts. I mean, I don't know of any more racist theory that could be out there. But C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Abolition of Man. It has a long subtitle on the reflection of education. Now, he was writing and to somebody else's work regarding teaching English in the upper forms of schools, but he describes what he calls the doctrine of objective value. In other words, the belief that certain values are true and other values are really false. And he says that if you ignore that truth, it will lead you to a distorted understanding of everything because truth defines and underlies reality itself. 
So the practical result of education that rejects truth is always going to be the destruction of the society which accepts that rejection. So if we accept education that rejects God's waking reality, if there is no objective reality to inform the pursuit of knowledge, then students have no basis on which to value judgments. So whenever they've got to choose between one good thing as being good or being bad, then there's no absolute reality on which to base their estimation of value. They're simply told to clarify their values by looking inside. And social learning is never going to solve these things in our society. Only the value of Bible virtues will. Only spiritual emotional learning will. Because as C.S. Lewis states, feeling a desire to help is quite different from feeling like you ought to help whether you want to do it or not. See, what they do not teach you in schools is exactly what the Bible psychology is that we laid out to you weeks ago. You have a physical instinct in your body for self-preservation. You have a mental and moral instinct in your soul that says you ought to act above the level of an animal. You ought to quit you like men, 1 Corinthians 16, and withstand in the evil day, Ephesians 6.13. But you also have a conscience in your spirit to judge between the two. And none of that is taught to our kids in SEL core curriculum. You've got two primary impulses. Either self-preservation or to act above the level of an animal because you are a human. And do some things that go against self-preservation. But the moment a child is conscious, conscious of right and truth and morality, their conscience is telling them to side with the weaker of those two impulses. Don't side with self-preservation. You need to live above that level because you are not an animal. But that does not jive with unscientific atheistic evolution because evolution is always and only about survival of the fittest, period, full stop. Every note in a song, I think Brandon would tell you this, every note in a song is right at one point and wrong at another. So without the aid of trained emotions, now this is what character is. If I could give you a, just a quick definition. How do we get to character with our kids so that our teenagers benefit? Because you do know that the Word of God says to young men, young men, you have overcome the wicked one. So for young men and young ladies, you've got to overcome the wicked one at that point in your teens and your 20s. Because if you don't, you ruin your life. But you're not able to do that then unless we take you as a harvest kid and we build into you character. And that's going to be comprised of two things. That means you have to tame your emotions and you have to train on the other hand and on the other side, you got to train your conscience. You got to you got to tame your emotions that's simple obedience to the word of God. You got to train your conscience that's discipleship. And without the aid of that type of thing, 
says C.S. Lewis, the intellect is powerless against the animal organism. Or, in our second point for study, mere knowledge of right and wrong is powerless against a person's appetites. And that is the glaring need for character. For taming your emotions and for training your conscience. So reason cannot rule your animal appetites without the aid of an ungrieved Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.10. There's got to be integrity, completeness, which is what? Completeness, reality, and righteousness. It's got to start on the inside. You've got to get it right in, in here, inside, so that the outside matches what's there. As you take off the old man and you put on the new man, Ephesians 4, Colossians chapter 3. So each month, starting today, we want to highlight a character quality of Christ-likeness for you and your kids. One virtue per month, 12 months. Why? Because we, we our first one, what's the first one this month? Now, your kids may not tell you, but in your handout today, there are some QR codes. And even if your kids... Don't bring this up to you. You're able to go online and you're able to find out this information for January. It's faithfulness. We laugh at faithfulness, but then we're shocked when our mate cuts and runs. We laugh at patience, and then we're shocked when we got to face road rage. We laugh at honesty, and then we're shocked when we find our kids lying. Laugh at honor, and we're shocked to find traitors. We laugh at forgiveness, and then we're shocked to find the bitter fruits of bitterness. We laugh at humility, and then we're shocked to find our kids are narcissists, like us. We laugh at blamelessness, and then we're shocked whenever somebody does not care about the consequences. We laugh at responsibility, and we're shocked when we cannot hold somebody accountable for their words or for their actions. We laugh at contentment, and then we're shocked when somebody gives up for no good reason. We laugh at friendship, but then we're shocked when incels and others isolate themselves from our society. We laugh at temperance, self-control, and discipline, and then we are shocked at the uncontrolled vengeance and violence and record rate of homicides. We laugh at thankfulness, and then we're shocked when we find our family always complaining. We laugh at compassion, and we're shocked. Children turn hard. So we have some heavy lifting to do as a church, but it is lifting that we can do with guts and an ungrieved Holy Ghost, with the courage to stand in the gap, Ezekiel 22.30, to watch, to redeem the time by standing fast, faithful in the evil day, Ephesians 5.16, and being strong. How? By taking the word of God as the sword of God and letting the spirit of God bring the power for us to do it. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Keep your finger in Psalm 78, but turn to Daniel chapter 6. We need to give the guts to our children in this church. I think so. We need to give them guts. And guts come from the words of God in English, the King James Bible. And since I am in no way a white knight in shining armor, I need to call in a Bible character to help me get this series and this study and this Sunday 
Emphasis going strong. So look at Daniel 6, verse 16. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. I mean, he was doomed. And we all know that there's some punishments which are absolutely just, but what could Daniel have possibly done to land him in a den of lions? Well, we can unwind the story from Daniel 6. So, so go there now. Daniel 6, king, king is named Darius. He's 62 years old, according to the last verse of chapter 5. Well, Daniel's probably in his 80s at this time. I mean, Daniel has seen empires rise and fall and come and go. And while the kings have been either strong or weak, or they've been vacillating or decisive, or they've been brutal or humane, they've been compromising or committed, Daniel has stood fast against every, Daniel has stood fast against every evil day. And the two men here are connected because the king has seen in Daniel the type of character he wants in the three presidents that he's putting over the princes of his 127 provinces. Verse 3, then Daniel, this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, character, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. I mean, the king thinks so much of Daniel's character, he's considering putting him over the whole empire. And you know, even before Darius, Nebuchadnezzar had said back in chapter 4 and verse 8, but at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, although who cares about that today, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And Daniel is living a life passing through two very real tests. The test of adversity, Proverbs 24, and the test of prosperity, Proverbs 1. Consider the test of adversity. Daniel faced trauma, stress, and sexual disfiguration whenever he's deported to Babylon as a captive and then made a eunuch to serve the king. Consider the test of prosperity because he then faces a promotion when he acts with the value of Bible virtues, which even the lost world recognizes. But he's doing it from the spirit of the holy God, answering to him following the word of God, even when it went against the word of the king. So in chapters 1 and 3, he's surviving. But in chapter 6, he's thriving. Psalm 26, verse 1 says, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, because of those two things, I shall not slide. When you walk in your integrity, you leave a legacy, as a legacy, a model of character for your children to follow as the thumbprint of the Father. And steadfastness marks Daniel's life throughout all of this. But, but what about, and this is our third point for study, what about when everything, everything in your life is broken? 
That doesn't inhibit your integrity. That just puts it on display. The princes and the other two presidents are jealous, verse 4. But Daniel's not envious of anything, not of the king or of anything. They tail him, they spy on him, they talk to people about him, they bug his communications, they invade his privacy, and yet no hanky-panky, no payola, no cover-up, no hidden dirt, no Swiss bank account, no logs on a jet, no island you know, off the coast. And so they find no ground of accusation concerning the kingdom. Therefore, verse 5 presents the test. Then said these men, we, sh- we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God, concerning the word of God, concerning his Bible, his scripture. Brilliant. Attack him in his integrity. Attack him in that space between his God and his government. Because all Christians are patriotic. But no Christian is patriotic enough. I mean, no Christian is patriotic enough. Because no true Bible-believing Christian is going to put patriotism above their God. They're not going to do that. Verse 6, Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. Now notice the lie in the next verse, which they portray as the truth. Because that becomes the reason for what happens to them at the end of this story. Verse 7, all the presidents of the kingdom. Why, that would mean Daniel himself. The governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree. Whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. He's done for. So now the plot thickens over the next two verses. Continuously over low heat. Two tablespoons of zip zap. Verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Now wait, look, if you take a note, you ought to get this down. If you do not do it beforehand, you ain't going to do it during the test. You practice like you play, and you play a lot. If you don't practice good, you don't play good. Verse 11, then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that I ask a petition of any god or man within 30 days, save thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. King answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, a Jew, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not O king, nor the decree which thou hast signed. Now, that last clause is true, but the one before it, that's slander. The king. But no, he didn't, you know, he didn't regard the decree because he was making his petition three times a day. Now, notice how his, embr- his enemies take umbrage at what Daniel is doing 
and they expect the king to take offense based on their own resentment, how many times do you take up an an offense on somebody else's behalf? Why? They're the ones who should be offended. Let them handle it. That's Matthew 18. Yet we do it all the time. But the king did not watch. Verse 14, then the king, when he had heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Amen. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, tapping much, No, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no degree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. We live by the rule of law. No one is above it. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the dental You say, Alan, I thought that if I did right, then everything was going to turn out right. No, baby Bob, I never said that. Because I know what the Bible says. What the Bible says is Romans 8.28. We know that all things, even bad ones, work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. All things are not good. All things may not turn out good. Things are not all right when you do right. But even wrong things work together for good to the believer. Because here is your things and here is God. And God is over it all. And whether he rescues or doesn't deliver, he's still over it all to work out for your good. So 80 years later, Ezra records what the returning captives say to Artaxerxes in Ezra 8, verse 22. We had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon them for good that seek him. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. I mean, I don't care whose hand is against me, even though I've done good, as long as it's not God's. This is our fourth point for study. Even bad things will produce good and enable you to do good. But to get there, you've got to make decisions based on your estimation of the value of Bible virtues and the characteristics and character being like Christ. You've got to tame your emotions and you've got to train your conscience. Our system, our world system, and our American culture, which are lying closer and closer all the time, is still designed to discipline and punish those who live with biblical integrity. But Daniel stood and did not crack. So let me give you an analysis of Daniel's integrity. Number one, true integrity ensures that you will do what is right even when no one is looking and everyone is compromising. And you know, that is tough. That is tough in our society and in our schools because emotional taming and conscience training, even, you know, even with that, what that means is, absent that, there's no magic in a wedding ring. There's no magic during a proctored exam. Absent emotional taming and conscience training. Therefore, there's a breakdown of integrity in the trades, putting profit above craftsmanship, putting money above quality work, but character is not something you can leave to chance because you can get away with duplicity from a mechanic and that's, that is simply a first world annoyance. 
But you cannot get away with that in the hard sciences, not in medicine, not as chemistry, not in biology, not in pharmacology, without people getting killed. And it's in places, those places like that, in the medical profession, that our personal identity preferences run up against God's waking reality. All because we refuse to tame our emotions and train our conscience. And instead we want to do the Buddhist thing that expresses our emotions and allows us to justify, rationalize, and follow them. And then cauterize our conscience. So number two, real integrity withstands in the evil day whether the evil is adversity or prosperity. Whether the evil is adversity or prosperity. Real integrity stays in place no matter which way the wind does blow. So Psalm 78, Asaph writes a psalm as a masquil or an instruction or a discipleship psalm. 72 verses long, but if you take the time to read it this week, you'll notice how the narrative flows. And he walks Hebrew history from Jacob all the way to David. Verse 2, I will open my mouth in a parable. And a parable is a parallel story where God is teaching you using similitudes or similarities or as and like comparisons. Jesus used the technique by uh, giving, giving the, the parable but failing to show the comparison except to his own disciples. Verse 4, we will not hide, teaching our fathers told us, from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. And that is exactly where we are at as a church, making this move to a new location just off 7 Highway on R.D. Mize Road and moving into the new year. So we closed on both properties on Thursday. We closed on selling this property to the school district. We closed on the property at R.D. Mize. So now it, it is... You know, it is on like Mario Kart. And if you want to help us move, you just go out there in the lobby and there's a thing on the table. I mean, there's a lot of QR codes on the table, but there's one thing that says, hey, if you want to help us move, sign up here. Well, you know, if you take your phone and get in the QR code, that will, that'll take you to Narnia or maybe Middle Earth. I'm not sure which. But anyway, it, it allows you to tell us that you want us to tell you when we are doing things regarding the move. Because we've got $450,000, almost half a million dollars worth of things that we're going to do before we get over there. Some of them we have to do, like moving some of our HVAC units because one of them over there is dead. And some of it we just need to do because it's time. I mean, if we're going to do it all, we've got to do it now. Paint, carpet, lights. I mean, we've got to get AVLs right. We've got to be able to live stream, all of that. So we're going we're gonna to be, be doing a big amount of work, and we need your help with that. And our kids need to see our character, our steadfastness. We need to have that new location to do exactly what I'm talking about today because we are to pass on. Watch, look at verse 4. We are to pass on 
the word of God's wonderful works as evidence of his strength and the reason for our praise. So in verse 5, we are to make known his testimony and his law. That's the words of scripture, especially to our children. Because this is the only thing, according to verse 8, check this, this is the only thing that will prevent them from becoming a stubborn and rebellious generation and will get them to set their heart right, to tame their emotions, to train their conscience, which is the opposite of the Buddhist idea of SEL and the unrestrained venting and justification of emotions. The only way we can get their heart right and stand fast with their spirit, according to verse 8. So we must know and make known certain things to our harvest kids. What are they? Verse 7. Why do we do this? That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And that right there is the value, the three values of teaching Bible virtues. Three specific things in view because this is what character do first it gives your children hope and teaches them they can turn to God in any that's hope causes your kids to remember that God is at work and he will work for them as they pray he is at work in every circumstance and third it enables them to keep God's words so that the spirit will answer with accumulated power in their soul's walk with God. With a power that starts as a harvest kid, they're going to have to draw on as a teen and 20-something. And in the New Testament, Paul delivers the same charge to faithful students in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. Only this time, the charge does not come in the form of parables. It comes in the deposit of mysteries. So this is our stewardship of the mysteries. Because there are mysteries that explain how to have hope in a broken world. Like the mystery of iniquity and the mystery of Babylon the Great. There are mysteries that cause you to remember God and that God is at work. Like the restoration of Israel as God's people and the church's removal by the rapture. And there are mysteries that enable you to keep God's words like the mystery of godliness, like the mystery of Christ in you. And the mystery of Christ in his bride, the church. But Asaph concludes his discipleship psalm with three amazing verses. Go down to verse 70. The Lord chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the youth great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel is inheritance, so he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Now notice the order. David fed the sheep all the way up until the matter of Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite in 1 Kings 15, and he did it with integrity of heart that played into his skillfulness of hands. Now if you could only have one or the other of those two, do you want a president... With skill or with character? Now, almost all of us good Romans will answer, well, we want somebody skilled 
And we answer that way, no matter what party we're inclined to. We want the skilled person. But you know, integrity stays in place from college all the way to the Oval Office. Honesty and character eschews dirty tricks, and especially the casuistry and the subtle justification that says, well, you got to use them. you got to do this. You have to. I mean, they're using dirty tricks against us. we got to use dirty tricks. So what do we make of the wholesale breakdown of our society in politics, in public discourse, in social interaction, in the marketplace, in personal relationships, in international relations? Here's what I make of it, and this is number three. Broken integrity means that the leader forfeits his right to lead spiritually. There is not biblical leadership without Bible character. And you cannot mistake the fact that Scripture has a different emphasis on falling into daily sin versus the sins that result from a lack of character. So God distinguishes between weakness and wickedness in that way. And the root of character sins are duplicity and deception because of no emotional taming and no conscience training. And that is what it disrupts and erupts in entire families and churches and ministries. And you know, the issue at that point is not forgiving them and letting them go back to business as usual. The issue is their breach of integrity, their lack of blamelessness, because blame does not go away just with their personal repentance. Blame is only only removed when you assume the blame before the victim. The occasion for accusation, the fault in faithfulness that is sought in Daniel 6 verses 4 and 5, that is what we must seek to guard against in our own life and prevent from occurring in our children. Well, how do we do that then? Psalm 51 verse 17, I'm going to give you the answer. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Hmm, because here's our fifth point for study. The development of Christ-like character occurs beginning with a broken spirit, emotions tamed, and a contrite heart, conscience trained. Emotions tamed, conscience trained. It makes no demands. It entertains no expectations. It simply returns to believing the words of God. And make no mistake, we do are wounded. Those who are wounded people who are hurt when the self in an aggressive desire to return to the missions, if that's not granted, then they present themselves as the pathetic victims of somebody else's judgment and condemnation. But that response in itself is manipulation. And at bottom line, they have no submission to God. They have no humility to others. They have no broken spirit and contrite heart. And that belies the character flaw they had to begin with. So David, after the matter of his fault and occasion with Bathsheba, prays in verse 10 of Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, emotions, O God, and renew a right spirit conscience within me. 
Because character will make you sufficient. And I hope I've started this new series, this new year, and this new move in a way that will challenge you not to miss our time together on Sundays. Not to miss the worship, the opportunity to work, the chance to put a date in the margin of your Bible and declare that you will develop Christ-like character. As the only thing that will get you home safely to the judgment seat of Christ grace of God. It is the Spirit of God answering to the Word of God as we apply it in our lives and disciple others. I could head the fallen, and yet I do promise to lead and feed you in the value of Bible virtues and the character of Christ-likeness. You can't pull it off without God. I can't pull it off without God. But praise God, he accepts sinners just like you and me. Christ receiveth sinful men. Every head bowed, every eye closed. My time is up. I thank you for yours. If you've seldom been more conscious of your sin, then this Sunday, this service, this study is for you. Look at your life for the single purpose of magnifying God's word even above his name. Psalm 138 verse 2. And ask God to give you guts, the guts to trust his word like you trust Jesus and to stand as we enter this new year and to make it such a habit that it affects your family, it influences your friends, and it works to redeem our society with Bible principles. Until that day, runs down and righteousness is a mighty stream Jesus shed his blood as payment so that you could be received by God as his child and given everlasting life how do you receive him well you just pray just your heart to God knowing that he hears you just say God save me today for Jesus sake I trust Jesus today for exactly the thing he's promising me, everlasting life. (coughs) And God, I can't let it be on me. If it's on me, I'll make it. I'm going to do exactly what you say. I'm going to trust and I'm going to put it on Jesus. So put me in Christ, put the Holy Spirit in me and make me born again. And once I get your life, I want to start learning how to live and how to love according to your word so that your spirit will answer to the word of God in my life and make me more like Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that this morning, please, as the, as the praise team sings or as soon as they get done, come up here to the front, get with one of our people here at the head of the aisle. And let them know, because I want them to give you a copy of my book on next steps for new believers.